Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners and music lovers to this week's conversation here at Feelin' Film. I'm Patch, one of your guitar-playing co-hosts, and with me on drums or bass or, well, trumpet even, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I don't know that I could even remember how to play the trumpet. I, 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 Aaron, <laughs> I don't think I have the lips for it. It's been <laughs> decades. It's been a minute. Yeah, I was trying to think when we were, my wife and I were talking about band uh, in high school, and I was trying to remember, I think Aaron played yeah. trumpet. Like, that was the cool instrument to play in, uh, in band. Oh, cool. huh. I mean, you, Ben, and Matt, right? Do you all play? Did you all play trumpet? We did, yes. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, the trumpeteers, <laughs> and I played nothing because I was not in band. I was the drummer. Not as cool as the guitar, piano. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I picked that up later in my life, not not on the tail end of high school. So I wasn't as cool as you guys. Well, anyway, this duo needed to become a trio, and coming in on backup vocals, making a return to the show, is Meredith Loftus. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me back. It's good to finally meet you. I got I got to experience you in sort of passing with the uh, the Barbenheimer double feature that I was unable to be a part of. And oh so, my it's gosh, nice that to was have you on the show. Yeah, that was wow. What a moment in time Barbenheimer was. I felt like I lived Barbenheimer <laughs> for at least like. <laughs> The lead up into that, and then like maybe three weeks afterwards, I was still in Barbenheimer mode. So yeah, that was that was certainly something. Well, I'm glad we got that representation out somehow. I apologize for not being there, but you know, sorry, not sorry. And I'm glad you were able to fill in in such a, an amazing way. So thank you for doing that. No problem. Well, well, Apple TV Plus uh, recently recently released the latest feature film from John Carney called Flora and Son, and all three of us were ready to talk about it as soon as we could. Uh, if you've listened to this show long enough, listeners, you know that Sing Street is my absolute favorite film of his, and it sits atop my all-time favorites, which there have been a lot of great movies, and I've rewatched a lot. And this one, Sing Street, still is unmatched. I could talk about it for days. I will defend it as long as I need to and will recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Flora and Sun. That's not to say that we won't bring up Sing Street a number of times. I'm pretty sure we will. But my question was, going into this, did it hit the same kind of notes? And I do mean all pun intended there. Let's find out, shall we? So this is your official spoiler alert. Uh, check it out. Again, Apple TV Plus has it. It's definitely worth the $5.99 or whatever they're charging now, but whatever the cost is, it's totally worth it. Get a month's worth of great, great content and uh, let this be part of that. Okay, guys, here we are. We are in the midst of the fourth John Carney film, and I wanted to kind of open up the conversation by asking the question, talk to me about your history with the Carnivorce, as I call it. I know they're not interconnected, but I like calling it the Carnivorce because that sounds kind of fun. Uh, Meredith, let's start with you. Where did um, where did you fall in love with John Carney or are you just here out of obligation to me? Oh man, I am not here out of obligation. Um, I love John Carney films. I 
was kind of late to being introduced to once when that had initially come out. I didn't know really about John Kearney until the movie Begin Again came out. And I remember really, really liking it as I watched it for the first time. But I was not prepared in 2016 for Sing Street when it came out. And that just made me a lifelong fan of his. Uh, like you, Patrick, Sing Street is my favorite John Carney film. I could talk about this film for literal days. I have written uh, features ranking all of the original songs from Sing Street. I have talked about how one of the greatest Oscar snubs was Drive It Like You Sold It, not getting nominated for Best Original Song. I listen to this soundtrack repeatedly. I adore everything about Sing Street. So when the announcement came that Florence Sun was like premiering at Sundance this year, I was like, we're getting a new one. Let's go. I am in no matter what at this point. So yeah, John Kearney wasn't like a director I followed for long, but once Sing Street came out, like I will watch anything he puts out. I don't care if it's a short. I don't care if it is the same movie and over and over again. I will watch anything he does because he made me fall in love with Sing Street. And fun fact, if you go to my letterbox, it is one of my four favorites there. It will always have a permanent spot there. So I'm a real fan. Dang it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Aaron, what about you? I th it's weird. Like Sing Street's probably in my top 100 towards the bottom and I feel like I'm like a loser and like I I, <laughs> I hate the film. The internet's going to the internet is going to say that I hate this movie because it's not in my like top 4 to match you guys. That's how it works these days, but I mean, I love Sing Street as well. Obviously, we've got an episode on it and we just gushed about it when it came out. Fully at the time, I think that while it is my favorite overall Carney movie and experience, I really gravitate specifically more toward the music in movies like Once and Begin Again, simply because I'm a romantic, ridiculous single guy, I guess, at this point still, and I just get sucked into those movies i don't think that they are as strong of films but the songs in those two movies specifically are ones that just really get me to emote whereas in sing street they're much more fun to me it's bouncing it's a it's a i can put it on like right after a taylor swift playlist and just go through it driving my car or whatever but like you know begin again in one songs you put on falling slowly and i'm i'm done right and so I really love that about him and those romantic movies. And so this was a very big change of pace. And, and I wasn't quite sure how this was going to work because it really isn't romantic in the way that those two movies are. And it's definitely not about kids in the way that those two are. It's, it's a unique blend of stuff. And yeah, like you guys at this point, I'm just completely in on him and his way of looking at the world through film. I think he has a really unique perspective and I appreciate the heck out of it. And obviously we all three love music. And so that being a huge component of what he does just makes it that much better. But I think I think even if you talk about his stories like separated from the musical elements of them, 
I enjoy the way he looks at characters and situations that he puts them in. Absolutely. And I'm I'm kind of to to take another musical uh parallel pun whatever. I'm definitely in harmony with Meredith. I grew up grew up. The Carnivore started with Begin Again and it was more I think Sing Street was my second and I was like who is this guy John Carney and why is he making me like want to watch Sing Street immediately after I finish it? And then there's this movie once that came out and I was like what is that? And then we get into into Flora and Son and I, I, you know, as you were talking, Aaron, I just I kept picturing you like vacuuming your apartment uh, with like "Drive It Like You Stole It" or "Riddle of the Model" kind of playing in the background while you're just grooving. And and I'm you know, Sing Street as a movie is always going to be a favorite, but I can't disagree that it definitely isn't as romantic. It's, it it hits the '80s, but the '80s of of a different country, so it's not like American '80s. It's definitely Dublin 80s. And I think you're you're hitting on something really, really uh important, Aaron, in that there's something to John Carney's movies that have these similar things in all of them that we look forward to as an audience, not just original music, but characters that we are intimate with. Like he is we talked offline a little bit that he has the ability to be very subtle with his storytelling. Nothing that he does feels like it's like grandiose. It's just, but it's not basic. And I don't want to diminish it like that. There's a simplicity to what he does, but there's so much like care and creativity that goes into these stories. And I think that's why I, I really, really enjoy all of them. It's what made me gravitate towards Begin Again because like, wow, this is a, this is an interesting story. I mean, and I find it really interesting that if you look at three of the four movies, the poster art for them is two people walking with instruments, either on their backs or together. Florence doesn't do that. And I wonder from an art department standpoint, if he just wasn't thinking consistently, or if there's something significant about the artwork itself. Because as you pointed out, Aaron, yeah, you've got her profile with headphones and the silhouette of her son as like where the beats by Dre, you know, come come in. And I kind of missed that. I, I missed the the walk of of the you know two two characters. But the thing is, is that I can't really pick what two characters this would be. Well, you used it. You used it as our cover art for the podcast. I did, <laughs> the, and that's what made walk. me think. I was like, wait a minute, this is not the cover art. This is an actual you know image from the movie. And so maybe that's my subconscious saying, I need the consistency. I need the John Carney films to all kind of look the same when it comes to the uh, the poster art. But I really, really, I, I think that. You can, this is what makes a director appeal to me because I know what to expect. But then the way he kind of takes his thing and twists it a little bit. Um, I love how he really is talking about the importance of music and how it connects people, uh, the creative process. And, and we can get into some of those details. But what are some things specifically that, uh, and Meredith, I'll, I'll start with you, that, that make you really appreciate, you know, not just this movie, but all of his films? Yeah, I mean, I think you just hit on it. It's the it's the relationships, honestly. Like, music is kind of like, it's the subtext, it's the soul. It's the, it's the thing, it's the background of, like, what's going on emotionally. And I feel like his films, they're always dealing with relationships and how 
music can be really restorative and healing uh, to so many broken relationships and how like music can bring people back together. And it's not always like everything is solved at the end of each of his films when it comes to these broken relationships, but there's enough there of like, we're moving in a better place. We are, we've gone over this bridge of how, where we started from being in a broken place to being on the right track or in the words of Florence Sun, getting back to the high life, you know? Um, and what I love about Flora and Son in particular is that he does this type of film in the context of a single mom with who has a contentious relationship with her son. And that's not something that like he has done before. And to for him to explore that in a modern sense, like I thought was really fascinating. I mean, I love Sing Street because I love 80s music so much. So to get that perspective of like the 80s through the lens of Dublin, through these boys. And I do want to defend, though, there is a love story there and it's young love. And I think there's something really sweet and pure and profound when it comes to uh, the hints of first love and kind of the failings that come with it and between like Connor and Rafina and that and you see that with Max and Samantha here in Flora and Son as well albeit it didn't work out the same way for Max like it does with Connor in Sing Street but you know like he's still touching on those bits and pieces too that I adore and love and I love seeing Jack Rayner again in Flora and Son I hope he's a frequent collaborator with John Carney moving forward I think he's a muse. I think he has a muse for John Carney. Like the 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 movies that we think are the best have Jack Rayner in them. Let's just let's go there. So Well, okay, I will say in my letter once. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say for my letterbox review of Florence Sun, I did say this is definitely the sequel to Sing Street because it shows what Connor's older brother was up to. Um and he should have taken lessons from Connor with his music videos because we watch Ian's music video in the movie and it's terrible. I'm like, does your brother not teach you anything? So. But he had a crate. <laughs> he had a crate. Okay. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh and he had gosh. police because it takes place in America. <laughs> there you go. What? <laughs> Why are there so many police? Because it's America. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Aaron, what about you? What What is it about Carney films that that you really kind of stick like that sticks with you? Well, I mean, all the stuff that you both have said uh, already for sure, uh, I would agree with wholeheartedly. I think the grounded nature of the storytelling is one of the things that makes him so special. Is that he doesn't care about big cities or states or countries it is basically like neighborhood level storytelling most of his stuff i mean it's it's very hyper focused on a few characters it doesn't get big and epic and sprawling and one thing that i really appreciated when i was rewatching flora and son again to get ready for the podcast was how long it takes for anything to happen. I, I, I don't say that as a negative, 
but it's a bit aimless at first. And I think that it's to the movie's benefit because what ends up happening is when we get to meet Flora, we see a lot of just Flora and son, <laughs> uh, Max, you know, going through life and fighting over and over and over and over, having these little moments and spats and different things that are kind of different situations in which they're they're finding each other annoying to and, and trying to kind of get away from one another. And I think a lot of filmmakers might show us something like that one time, one big blowout fight, and then maybe a little bit of exposition about how it's really hard to be a mother because this kid's a punk or whatever. And then that's how we know. We're, now we're, we've been told and conditioned that these two characters are struggling in a parent-kid relationship. But Carney gives us that for like a third, at least, of this movie, I felt like. like There's like 30 minutes of just that's kind of their relationship. It doesn't just immediately start getting worked on or immediately change. And I, I appreciated when it does start to, when they have those little breakthrough moments, like when she walks in and he's on garage band or whatever, and he's making the beats and she's shocked when they have that moment, or I forget what the other one was. There was another moment when they, I, I don't remember, they're walking down the street together um, after getting some food. And there's just a couple of brief scenes where they, they get along just, just little, a little bit of time at a, at a, snapshot in a moment and I thought that those were much more impactful and more realistic than if we just jumped to this relationship being worked on because they both wanted to or whatever and I guess I guess I just feel like I appreciate the grounded nature of his characters so much because they feel lived in the way that they talk the dialogue it's not what you would normally hear in a movie you know like She's cussing at him, but that is realistic that that's like, I feel like these are two characters that could do two a mother and a son that would really exist. And it's never to the point where it's not like, I don't know, heightened. It's not turning into, oh, it's going to escalate into I'm going to run out of the house and be gone forever. Or I'm going to turn into this horror movie where I'm going to beat you. No, it's just two people who very clearly are struggling to get by and they have all this baggage and they don't know how to connect to one another. And so they talk to each other just like they would in their regular lives instead of like what you would see in a Hollywood script. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Because it just doesn't sound like a Hollywood movie. It sounds like a documentary of a family living in Dublin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what they have is they represent the broken template of what it means to be a mother and a son. And that's something that I think is echoed in a lot of his movies where you have these characters who should get along, who should fit a certain way, but they don't because of their flaws. And Carney is very unapologetic about showing the flaws of the family. Sing Street's a great example. You have Connor who comes from, the movie starts out with his parents saying, deuces, we're getting a divorce. And it becomes a story about him finding his identity and connecting with his brother, which I think is just beautiful. And this is the same way where you have, or a similar way, where you have Flora and 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 Max, who we see that they're not the the right mother and son. I love that she questions her 
role as a mother. Like she's talking to, I think it's her friend. I don't know if it's her friend or uh, or a relative, but they're talking and she's like, I'm a terrible mother. And then her friend's like, no, no, you're not. But then, but then she says these things. She's like, yeah, you might actually be. Like it's a very blunt, honest look at the fact that it's a messed up world that they live in because there was nothing planned about her relationship with her son. Like she, she talks so bluntly about how she did everything differently. Like when she got pregnant, everybody else was having abortions and she wasn't. And in a different story, that would become the redemptive arc. Hey, look, she has the son and look what amazing things he does. Well, this film kind of shows him as a burden. Like she's like, I honestly wish, you know, I could leave. And as parents, I think that there are times when we have felt that way when, you know what, it's hard to give up the things that we want because we have kids now and because our relationship with them has to be more important than our relationship with something else. So watching how their relationship grows and how they connect, it is authentic because we see her set up in the very first scene where she's like hanging out at a, you know, at a club doing, you know, rave dancing and, and whatnot. Well, he's got that common thread as well. And one of the things I really like about John Carney's films is that creative process. The, there's a great moment in Sing Street where Connor and his buddy are experimenting with like, I think it's a vacuum cleaner tube uh, and a guitar. And it's like, this is, this is what this is like when you, when you're coming up with something like if you're writing a short story or uh, when I was doing the 48 hour film project, you know, coming up with like, oh yeah, that'll work. Okay. Let's see how that plays itself out. The creative process is that invigorating. And so seeing her experience that with him over the garage band, um, I think it was double in 07 where he was coming up with it. She was that, that, that connects him, that connects them together. And that didn't feel like Carney was pushing their relationship forward because they still had problems. It wasn't like, hey, we've got this common thing. Now we're going to be great. No, it doesn't resolve. And just like Sing Street, just like Begin Again, there's this sort of cautious optimism at the end of the movie where not everything resolves. I was reminded of Blue Like Jazz uh, and, and how at the beginning of that book, he talks about how I didn't like jazz because it didn't resolve, but that's okay. And I think that there's something interesting about in music where you don't have the resoluting the resolution note where you don't resolve the chord where it just sort of leaves you with some tension. And there's something interesting about that. And I think Carney puts that in all of his films to say, look, there's a future out there. We're not tying a bow around it, but we're giving you as an audience the opportunity to be able to experience what this could be and kind of draw your own conclusions. So this is no different. Um, do we root for her and uh, and Jeff to get together? No, not really, because the film doesn't necessarily lead us down that track. We kind of think maybe they will, but that's not the most important thing. It's really about her and her relationship with Max sort of finding their own resolution. But even that's a little messy, too, because it's who they are. They're not a perfect mother and son. And I like that Carney doesn't leave us going Music brings people together and makes everything perfect. Nope, it doesn't. It does the first part, but people help 
provide redemption for each other in his world. And I think that's, I think I like the consistency of that uh, in his, in his movies. Yeah. I was going to say like so, the thing that I love about Flora and son and particularly the relationship between Flora and Max is that like they, Carney puts in all these like lovely seeds to make the emotional moments hit, even though it's not pure resolution, but it just like, pulls at your heartstrings in a very particular way like i think about the moment in the courtroom where she has the moment that she could just leave her son there and she even talked about it with her friend at the beginning of the movie sometimes she thinks about like he just never came home and that was her opportunity to not like show up for him and then later when he is behind bars like he talks about his favorite day that he's had so far and it was making the music video with his mom and like that kills me every time I've watched that hearing like because when they made the video and he sent it off to Samantha the girl that he likes it didn't work out and he was still mad at her but he still looks back at that moment very fondly um and it's just one of those like beautiful little breadcrumbs that like we do see the healing happening there but it's not like even by the time like they perform high life at the very end together live at the pub like there's still things to work out there but there's just a lot of like just beauty baked in there and i just adore it yeah i did want to bring up that moment with with them at the end and i noticed i don't know if this was intentional i really hope it was because that would be magical if you listen to the song and how they perform it there are parts that don't quite align. Like when he starts the sample of the beat, it's a little off. And there are times when the note isn't quite perfect. And I love that because it's as if Carney is reinforcing the fact that these are not polished musicians. Like these are experimental people who are just now trying to, to just figure things out. And I think it's, really really a great metaphor for them as a mother and son trying to work some things out trying to figure each other out finding their own rhythm as, in this relationship and it's it's hilarious because you know Ian's in the back uh reluctantly playing the bass and then he drops a beat like it drops a, a riff and she's like no, no never no, 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 don't no. do that again and I'm like no do it don't do it again do it again Ian because that's awesome but but even he is like it's that song and how they perform it is very much a representation of who they are as individuals. So to see them all kind of come together with Jeff and his buddy via Skype, it's it really does show how you can make something work and it can be good even though it's not perfect. And so I liked the fact that it wasn't polished, that it wasn't one of those things that ah. It's the resolution we need. It just reinforces the fact that it's a cautious optimism. It's so beautiful. And I love that Carney takes the time to even do that in a way where it has to be consistent with the rest of his story. Yeah, I think that it's very intentional for sure. I mean, it, and it's set up where she's extremely nervous about doing it. I mean, she's it's interesting because she she has a lot of confidence about her. but. She does, but she, like, she's confident, not confidence the right word. 
she's got an outgoing nature. Like, she's willing to get up there and do this thing. But she doesn't necessarily think she's going to be great. She just doesn't care if anybody else doesn't think she's great. I love how it ends after all of the the wonderful, like, clapping and dancing and praise for high life. And right as it cuts to silent, you hear, That was shite! <laughs> From the background. That's in the awesome. just, So accurate. It's so, yeah, it's so accurate. It's just so funny because, you know, again, it wasn't, like you said, Patrick, it's not about it being this perfect song. The music is not, it, it's raw here. And it is, it is really just exists as a means of getting them together. And I love that Ian is there, even though he's kind of like, suckered into it I, I think that's a great moment when he's like no no i don't have my base and max is like oh no it's in the backseat i packed it and he's like well i'm stuck but from a personal perspective and like relational relationship wise as someone who is best friends with his ex-wife who's married for many years now and very good friends with them hang out with them all the time it's so important and this is not about Flora and Ian getting back together. That is not a single beat of this movie. We never expect that to happen. But what is important is two parents who come together, who recognize the importance of their individual relationships with their son, and who are working together towards doing things to help him become a young man and grow. And that's what Ian is doing in that moment. And that's when she tells him to stop. That's why he stops. And I I like that. He's a flawed dude. But again, back to like relatability and realism, he's flawed, but he's not a terrible dad. Like he should have showed up at court, obviously. Right. But he also does some good things and he does spend time with him. And I, I don't get the picture that he's a complete deadbeat dad. And there's a there's a layer there where I think he does still care about Max. And, and that meant a lot to me. Because so many characters in stories like this, it's the dad is just the complete jerk. And he's nothing but a roadblock for the mom or the mom relationship. And Ian, it doesn't quite turn out that way. It, it, it's a little softer. And, and I think, like you said, cautious optimism, it leaves us hopeful that they can have these relationships with their son individually and kind of grow through this painful period in his life or this, this struggling period. Yeah, I think the the challenge the, the challenge here is that it would be easy to paint a picture of the good parent, bad parent, as you say, and put them at odds with each other. And that I think has been played out. But I think what John Carney sees in terms of the family unit is that both parents matter. Even in Sing Street I don't remember the parents being dismissed necessarily. Like they didn't become, they be, I mean, they were definitely background characters to Connor and his brother, but I never saw them as parents who were completely dismissive. Like we're doing our own thing and, you know, we're just going to be stereotypical parents that are not involved in their kids' lives. I mean, their divorce and everything that they were going through was a significant part of Connor's journey and his brother as well. And granted, it didn't end up in some magical place where there's opti you know, optimism there, but it did have a significant impact, but it wasn't the thing that was the driving force. And the same thing here, 
when you look at Max's relationship with his parents, I, I agree, Aaron. I don't I don't like the fact that or I like the fact that Ian isn't portrayed as a deadbeat, that he's equally as flawed and equally as selfish. There's a great there's a great um I think it's uh they're having lunch and or maybe it's breakfast and Ian is telling Flora, You're drinking at like eight thirty, you know, she's got wine and and she's like, Whatever and then like the scene cuts and he's like finishing his third beer before they start talking about her, you know, going to to meet Jeff. And he's like, I can't do that. I've got my own thing. We're getting the band back together. We're going to do weddings. And I look at these this couple and I'm like, both of you are selfish. But I like the fact that you're equally that way, that there's not a good cop, bad cop here. And so when you see them at the end, even though Ian is in the back, again, metaphorically thinking like yeah he's not as prominent as these two because this is their story he's still a part of it and the fact is you need bass in music it helps bass and drums you need to have that in order to make a song work especially one that's being played live if you unless you played acoustic only you cannot make a song really work without a bass guitar so again there's something great about the fact that even if it's a small piece he is still necessary and it sets up like where could they go from here? All right. Well, let's talk about the other character in this movie, uh, played by Joseph Gordon Levitt. Now, I want to say this. I saw Jack Rayner's name on the credits before I even watched a trailer. I saw Joseph Gordon Levitt and I was like, Okay, who are these characters gonna be? You know, who you gonna bring an American to Dublin? What's happening here? Is this gonna be the romantic thing? And I loved what I got. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is perfect in this movie because of what I've seen him in before, like this kind of meek character, this kind of aw shucks kind of guy. He he kind of plays that in most of the roles that I've seen him in. Inception, he's even a little bit more scaled back. He's not like a demonstrative guy. So when we meet him as her online teacher, he has this sort of like almost not country accent, but it's a, like a slight Southern accent, even though he lives in California. It's subdued and it's such a a beautiful contrast between Jeff and Flora, how she is like sarcastic and abrasive, but charmingly abrasive, where he's just like, okay, okay. And he just sort of absorbs it all. Like the mo one of my favorite moments is when they first meet. And she finds out more about him and he kind of plays the song for her. And then she goes, all right, can you play that again? But can you do it with your shirt off? And he's like, click. And there goes the, there goes the session. And it's such a great way to set up their relationship because he's not going to be a pushover. Like he's got his own flaws. He's got his own things that he's dealing with that we find out. But he's also got a strength to him that's like, look, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be that guy. And I think for us, it tells us this is not going to be that typical, oh, I'm going to fall in love with this guy type of relationship. Um, Meredith, what, do you, what did you think about, about their relationship throughout the movie? Man, I think the biggest surprise for me of Lauren's son was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jeff. I thought he was excellent in the role. I think that he was just such a great foil to flora throughout 
just the way that they balance each other and may I say they harmonized together as far as having their two different styles and I did read a lot of their just natural chemistry between the two of them as something that could be romantic. I think there is so much there between them, especially when they sing uh, Me in the Middle. Wow. Like, I get chills every time I listen to it and just hear the type of, like, love that could genuinely spark between the two of them. They do have a lot in common as far as, like, they both have kids. It sounds like they're both divorced, or, like, I believe he is also divorced. Uh, they both have, they both find in each other this, like, creative spark to make music together. And I think there's just something really powerful and beautiful with that. And, I mean, the second that the credits roll and you hear, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's voice start singing Talking to You, that is a love song, okay? Like, he was ready to play that for her in person. If we ever got a sequel to this movie, I 100% believe that they would either, one of them would go to LA or go to Dublin, or they would make me in the middle legitimate and find a place to meet up because like there was enough there. And obviously that is not like the purpose of this movie. It's not overtly a love story but there is a love story happening there and a connection that they have found in each other and I just think it's really beautiful like and I love how they were able to communicate that through zoom and then of course all of her scenes like where he was like there in person with her which you know I just think was just done excellently and even I think the last time they did their zoom together before their performance of high life like Jeff has this face, like, this expression on his face of just longing and, like, I wish you were actually making it out here. And I, like, the second time I watched it, I just really felt that. So I was really surprised at how much I ended up caring for the two of them together. Yeah, I agree. I I, I noticed that as well. I mean, he, he definitely, they have that banter, a little bit of banter back and forth about who's going to go where. You know, he's like, I could come out there. And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't want to come here. It's a complete chaos pit. Uh, let me come there. And he's like, okay, cool. You come here. And then at the end, end of that conversation, the one you're talking about is he kind of says it again, but it's by far the most emotionally vulnerable and serious he's ever said it. He's kind of like, I really wish you were coming. <laughs> and And you just, you definitely feel that in that moment that there is a spark there there is something there that has grown between them so i i agree with you i think it's both really beautiful that we it goes into the whole unresolved storytelling that we don't need to know we can i mean i agree with you i'd watch a sequel in a heartbeat but we don't have to know we can imagine that this is a relationship that's going to continue these two people have found something in each other and they are going to continue spending time together. And maybe now, once you know things get better at home, they're able to go cross country. Who knows? I like kind of not knowing. I like the fact that it just leaves her in a place where the future is bright for her in many different aspects of her life. Um, I also love the performance. And particularly, I think, the kind of side point of this movie that 
Carney is playing with is our relationship to technology and screens. And I just agree with you, Meredith. Like the way that he is able to bring Joseph Gordon-Levitt through the camera to put him in a room with her when it first happened was very shocking. I just was not expecting any sort of like visual effect in a John Carney movie. I was like, what is going on right now? Did he like fly here? Are we moving forward in time? But it's not done at all in a like it doesn't draw attention to it at all. And it is so powerful in depicting, I think, that stage of progression in the relationship where it goes from just you and me separated by this camera and this microphone and this screen to we are now really connecting and like we are two people that are present with each other in a way that is very hard to do over Zoom. And, I, and he, he talked about this a little bit in the Q&A after the movie when I saw it premiere at Sundance. He, you know, this was made during the pandemic. It's one of those movies. And it was a time that was really hard for people to connect. And I think he wanted to show what it's like when you kind of, when you put enough effort into it and you crack through that barrier and it can be something meaningful. It doesn't have to be something that keeps you at a distance. And so I really appreciated the the subtle way that he made that point. Yeah, I think that watching them in those scenes where he comes through and they're together and intimate is, it's just beautiful to watch. Um, something else that Carney does specifically with their relationship is this sharing of of things like they share their stories with each other. I like the fact that they both come from broken hearts and he opens up to her. She opens up to him at one point. It's probably it's, it's a favorite part of the movie for me because of what it is, but he gives her homework. I think it's after the picnic that they have on, well, the digital picnic where she's out doing her thing and how do you get great Wi-Fi like in all these different places? I'm just wondering because she's got like really fantastic connection in these different places. <laughs> so Ireland's built differently. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Even the waffle place has good 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 Wi-Fi. I guess right. Um. Anyway, so he gives her homework, and I I I texted you, Aaron. I was like, well, if I wasn't in already, I'm in now. Because she cues up Joni Mitchell's 1970s live performance of Both Sides Now. Now, just a little history here. There are certain songs that I call my favorites. Um, this is one of them. And part of it has to do with the fact that the version I heard first was actually at the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games. Now, at the opening ceremonies, it's weird. But it's Joni Mitchell years later re-recording it as a ballad like with like just like pads instead of the guitar it's and now and now this version that we hear in the movie is not poppy necessarily but it's got a rhythm to it a very simple rhythm but the both sides now uh re-record that she does with a lower voice as she's gotten older it allows you to sit with the lyrics and um i love the song i love it's it's a it's a regretful song uh and and there are so many lyrics to it i just want to call attention she says 
of the chorus, I've looked at love from both sides now, from give and take, and still somehow it's love's illusions, I recall. I don't know love at all. Tears and fears and feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. Dreams and schemes and circus crowds. I've looked at life that way. And it, it's just the way that she sings it and the lyrics, particularly here, and seeing how Flora reacts to it is so intimate. It's like Jeff is saying, here, do you want a piece of my world? Here is what I gravitate towards. And this says so many things that I've seen love from both sides. Now I've seen both things and I don't know. I, I can't, I can't define it because I've seen it from different angles and it really does echo the theme of this movie and a lot of Carney's films, which is we just don't know the right answer, but we're still struggling to figure it out. And that's good too. And I think that's what really breaks her through um, her her apprehension to kind of open up to him. And that's what leads to uh, meet in the middle, which is probably my favorite um, in terms of just performance. I love that, as you mentioned, Aaron, the way that we go from screen to live. I love that he, he comes from behind almost like he's about to embrace her. Um, And then they just continue their conversation he talks about, uh, oh, you know, the sun's coming up. And she's like, yeah, the sun's going down. And they are digitally meeting in the middle where the sun is actually just doing both at the same time. Um, I wish that I could see that visually. I know we're in Dublin at that point, but it would be so cool just to see the sort of mismatch of like, what does that look like when the sun is trying to do both? And how would that look visually? But but I think it gets kicked off by the Joni Mitchell song, which just sold me. I was like, yes, this Carney gets it. Carney gets his characters. And I love that he articulates it through the lyrics of Joni Mitchell, who is just uh, just amazing. All right. So speaking of songs, obviously, John Carney is the king of movie musicals. And I believe it was the Q&A that, that you got, Aaron, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt said, I love these things, but I've never found a good one. And John Carney tends to just bring the bring the best. The mu- the movie musical is John Carney's thing. Were there songs specifically that you connected with um, in any kind of way? Um, we'll start with you, Meredith. What stood out to you from from this movie in particular? Oh man, I I mean, you were just talking about "Me in the Middle" is probably my favorite of uh, the soundtrack in this one, just because of the intimate nature of it. I love the lyrics of it. I love the way uh, Eve Hewson, which, by the way, shout out to Eve Hewson. She is incredible in this, like every aspect of this. And I didn't know that she was a nepo baby, uh, daughter of Bono, and I'm like. This tracks everything about this tracks, but I didn't know that until after the fact. So I do think she is very talented, um, her singing ability and just like the range of emotions that she shows in this film. Um, so I love Me in the Middle, mainly because of her chemistry with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The lyrics are just so like lovely and funny and just like this like beautiful harmonization between the two of them. But then I truly love High Life. I, the first time I watched Flora and Son, during the performance of High Life, I actually teared up because of 
the cathartic nature of it, the fact that it was this beautiful blending of the acoustic guitar of like what she's been learning for the past few weeks with Jeff combined with the trap electronic noise uh, sounds, not noise. It is sound and it is good sound like and it comes together uh, from her son Max to create this like beautiful messy song that just like through the lyrics just recaps their relationship in a nutshell and the line that gets me the most is when she says to him like this song is a love song but it's not an apology i hate that i hate you because you remind me of me and that just like tore into my soul when i heard that because that is such a real like honest vulnerable relatable thing to say and there's and she says it, she sings the line as she's looking at her son, and he doesn't have any malice towards her. He isn't upset or hurt by that because he knows it, and, like, he feels that, too. And then he goes into his uh, rap section um, that does, like, his side of his story, essentially. And, man, I just love it and i watched floor and sun before we got on so that i could be ready for this and it just like gave me the chills again watching that scene so those are the two big ones for me um i do like dublin 07 just for kicks and um it's so good <laughs> it's so good and then i love talking to you as well like i said like it was the surprise song in the in the uh, credit scene that you're just, or not even seen, it's just him, Jeff singing that, and it just like hits you in the feels a second time after you just had this like beautiful cathartic experience of high life to go into that. And I'm like, oh, I need to sit here a while. Why are you doing this to me, John Carney? But like clearly he knew what he was doing. So those were, those were standouts for, for me. Good stuff, Aaron. What about you? Well, I mean, I, I, they're all they're all good, and I think that we're saying that all three of us. I, High life gets to me because the emotional build up to the moment, and then I think Meredith, you just expressed why so perfectly. I'm not even going to attempt to say that better than you did, but when that happens, like that's when I get unexpected tears like my eyes kind of start welling up and i appreciate that sort of musical influence in storytelling and that's why i love musicals that's why i love emotional films because it sneaks up on me and i'm at that point there's been so much kind of laughter and a balance of drama in this movie up until that point and then it just the the truth is coming out there and it's so beautiful and so vulnerable and honest and I feel it. And I, so I really like the way the movie ends. 007 is by far the most fun for me just watching them go through that whole experience and particularly him and his lyrics that are just insane for like this 14 year old boy to be like rapping these certain lyrics and his mom is just like, oh yeah, uh, okay when he says i think he said he says something about a girl i can't remember what the line is but at one point he's like he says something about like having sex with a girl and his and the look on her she's kind of like 
<laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> like, I guess, our, all right. But she just rolls with it, right? And I, yeah. The thing about this soundtrack for me overall is that I think the songs are so wonderful within the context of this film. This is, we've had this discussion, so we're not going to debate it here, but we've had conversation before about musicals versus movies about music. And this is not a soundtrack that I'm going to put on and listen to on my own. Like, I don't, these particular songs, to me, are very specific to these characters in a way that I don't think I would walk around the house vacuuming listening to them. But they are absolutely pitch perfect in the context of the film itself. And that's not a knock. So I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that's bad. That's just a distinction between the type of songs that I feel like these are compared to most of the ones in his previous three films. But I, I love them all. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree, Aaron. I think these are ones that they're short. I mean, I think the longest one is maybe like three minutes. And it's, um, I think it it's not even one of the songs that were original. Most of these are like a, a buck 50, maybe two minutes long. And I think that's by design because they're local. Just like just like the, the world that Carney puts us in is very local. Uh, even with Sing Street having such kind of, it makes sense for Sing Street soundtrack to be catchy because the songs are made by a band trying to, you know, not really come up with a hit, but trying to find their sound and, and reflecting on what their main character is getting into. And I, and I think that's one of the cool things about Sing Street's soundtrack is that it evolves based off of what Connor is going through at the time. This is in the moment songs. And, and I, and I, I can't disagree with, with all of your picks. I think Juanita is a good one. No, I'm just kidding. Not, it's, it's a great, again, it's a, it's a representation of a great moment where it's so unexpected uh, where Ian's like, play something for me. And she's like, okay. And then she just basically rips on his girlfriend. <laughs> like, she's not from Mexico, but she's from me. Anyway, it's really, really funny. To me, I think my favorite, the one that I always kind of go back to is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's singing Welcome to L.A. Now, it's portrayed as an incomplete song because Meet in the Middle is the companion to it. But I love the lyric. Um, I think it's Drink in Topanga or, or, or Absorb. The way he describes Topanga, like, it's a, it's a poetic way of describing, I want to take you here. I want you to experience my life. And... Even though it works really well in the context of of her lyrics to make that song complete, I think there's something nice and intimate about his story and the fact that it leads to a sense of, I don't feel complete, but this still, you know, it's a minute 15 of just like him saying, I want someone to share this with. And I, I just love that lyric um, because it, it, because I, I think that's where he is. It's from Topanga Canyon is where he where he lives outside L.A. I was going to say, as the person who currently lives in L.A., uh, this is where I'm at right now, I did really love Welcome to L.A. I particularly like the line that he basically said is like, everything and nothing changes. And that is very spot on to uh, what it is like to live in L.A. for whether it's a couple of years or whether it's like 
over 10 years. It is just a consistent pattern that you find here. And he, in the short amount of time of that song, he kind of like, he really nails it on the head of what it means to live in LA through that line. And I really, I appreciate that as somebody who's lived here for now eight years. Yeah, that's awesome. I I think that it tells a different story. And at the time, it doesn't feel incomplete. It's his story. And I think when you can do that, there's something really cool about the fact that throughout the the narrative, she says, I think it needs something else. And then she brings that. And of course, it makes a different story to be told. It's about, it goes from his longing to share this with someone to now being like two people who are far away that, that it really reflects who they are. So I think both of those are, are definitely tops for me. Okay, any final thoughts before we wrap up from from either of you two? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just want to say that I adore Florence Sun. I've now watched it twice, and I think it played even better the second time I watched it. I think there's just something very beautiful about this film. And honestly, I think that John Carney making films about music and just like the healing quality of it and just the magic it provides, it's just something like we just need that kind of like feel good type of movie. You know, we can get all of these dramatic dark stuff, but to have, I don't know, the reliable nature of this like cautious optimism found in John Carney films, like I will welcome it every single time. And so. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I should watch this. It's like, well, we kind of spoiled the movie for you. Sorry. But also, yes, you should go watch it. And I don't think it's going to top Sing Street for me just because of how much I love that film. But I do love Florence and I do think it's going to stand as one of like my top 10. It will probably be in my top 10 of the year, honestly. I just really adore this movie so much. Sweet. Yeah, I, I think I put it as a, I won't say it's a distant second. So it's one that I told Aaron, this has kind of stayed with me. So that's something. It didn't immediately make me go, all right, let's hit the rewind button. Let's watch it again. But I still thought about it. Like after I watched, I was like, man, I like that part. Ooh, I want to see that again. And I queued up the soundtrack and I was telling him, I put a whole playlist together of the, uh, the Carnivore to eventually do my own little ranking of like, where is this going to be? Aaron, I know you mentioned that. Are there enough songs to do a, maybe a, a hall of fame? I mean, I think there are, I think there's a number of songs there, but this is, this is definitely one that as much as begin again, began my journey. I was beginning with that. It's slowly going down the ranks, even though as good as it is, it just speaks to how good John Carney is and how he can take those same things in all of his movies and put them in a way that just feel fresh so that even if you're not a fan of Sing Street, if you don't like the Dublin in the 80s, well, there's an intimate story of two people in the context of once, or there's an Americanized version of a struggling artist and her estranged relationship with her boyfriend slash musician in beginning. And so there's all these different angles of each of these movies that if you like the way that they're told, pick one. Because I think all four of these are great entry points into really appreciating his whole filmography. And I'm I'm really, really glad 
to know that there's a fourth movie out there. I mean, we got the trilogy and now we've this is this is the fourth movie that deserves to be part of this franchise. We've had some misses with uh with trilogies that have tried to stay longer than they need to. This is one that I think is uh worthy of maybe even a fifth one at some point. But take your time, John. Take your time because when you do that, it's definitely well worth it. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of Feeling Film. Meredith, thank you for just making me happy on this episode and sharing the same heart for Carney and Sing Street and all that stuff. There may be, I'm just going to say this right now, there might be a, a, a remix of that conversation that happens, like a Sing Street Revisited, where we just sort of gush over it. Uh, if Aaron doesn't want to be a part of that, totally fine. Just bring you on. And we'll just Please. just rehash it. We'll just like let's let's go through it scene by scene. I do that on America, uh, an original series. Maybe we should just do that just at some point. We'll figure it out. But um, in the meantime, where can people find you? Yes, oh put you on there. Yes. Where can people find you on social media if they want to talk to you more about this? Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you again so much, uh, Aaron and Patrick, for having me on. It is always fun to be on Feeling Film. You can find me on Instagram, formerly Twitter, Letterboxd, Blue Sky, and Threads at Meredith Loftus. Um, by the time this episode is out, you can find my review of this film on Marvelous Geeks Media. And you can check out all of my features uh, uh, on Collider, where I talk about different movies and TV shows. I do have a feature of ranking the original songs from Sing Street. Check it out. Um, my picks, my ranking may surprise you. My number one should not surprise you based on this conversation, but I just adore talking about John Carney and just talking about films in general. And I do love Marvel movies too. So like, come with me with what you got. I'm just here for a good time. So again, thank you so much for having me on. I loved talking with both of you about this film. Excellent. We were glad to have you. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed the conversation. I uh, really hope you enjoyed the movie just as much. And again, if you haven't seen it, if you like being spoiled, then really just make yourself happier and check this out, Apple TV+. Plus. In the meantime, that'll do it for us. Thanks for a great conversation, you guys. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.